This is recording number 10728 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the fifth message in the Redirecting Your Future series by Randy Bold. It was recorded on Sunday morning, September 16, 2007. This message is titled, Prayer. Turn to the very first book in this Bible, Genesis, and to chapter 13. And today we're going to be talking about the future redirecting principle of prayer. Now, as soon as I say the word prayer, I've been a pastor, a preacher person uh, long enough, you know, uh, 25 plus years that I know as soon as I mention the word prayer, people's eyes glaze over and they begin to tune out on me. Why? Not that we don't think prayer is important, but because none of us feel like we do it very well. Um, we don't do it enough. Uh, we don't even really know how to do it because a lot of what we've been exposed to is sort of formal um, notions and, and uh, imagery around prayer that, it, you know, I don't know, are you supposed to have candles and incense? Are you supposed to, you know, are you supposed to have a priest on the other side of the wall? I mean, what is it that you're supposed to do to really make prayer what it is intended to be? And so a lot of times you bring up the subject and we just kind of bail. I'm going to ask you not to do that today. I'm going to ask you to stay with me today because although prayer is a, a very large subject and we're not going to tackle everything that there is to do with prayer. In fact, we have uh, approached this subject from different angles at different times over the course of the year and a half that I've been with you. Um, but today we're going to focus on the future redirecting power of prayer. So I want you to hang with me and we're going to be talking about a guy named Abram. He will get his name changed eventually, and he will become Abraham. You've heard of him before, probably. But when we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 13, uh, verse 1, we're talking about Abram before he's had uh, his name changed. Now, let me tell you briefly the story of Abram. Um, Abram uh, was a guy minding his own business, uh, living in uh, Mesopotamia, and, uh, but he had a faith in the one true God, um, you know, different than his neighbors uh, who worshiped whatever they, you know, whatever they felt like or whatever they thought would get them the, the you know, the most um, benefit. But Abraham had a true uh, Abram had a true f- a faith in the true and one God. And, and so God spoke to Abram. Now, I don't know how he did that. I don't know if it was, you know, some sort of audible voice or, or more like most of the time when I hear God. And, I'm, and now, now I've just said something that's going to make you think I'm nuts, that I hear from God. I'm really not schizophrenic. The Bible says that God wants to talk to us, wants to communicate to us. And it's not like a shortwave radio or a, you know, walkie-talkie or something like that. In most cases, it's just sort of an impression on my heart. It's like the Lord just nudges me in a certain direction or causes me to be aware of something. God um, wants to, because, because God is not just a, you know, he's not like a toy maker who wound up this universe and then just sits back and watches it go. Contrary to what some people believe. We have a God in heaven who created things on purpose. He created us on purpose because he wants to have a relationship with us. So how is it that you could even imagine a God who wants to have relationship with you but wouldn't talk to you? God does speak to us. He spoke to Abram. And he said, Abram, I want you to leave home. I want you to leave Mesopotamia, your neighborhood here. 
and I'm going to take you someplace you can't imagine just yet. I can't really tell you where it is because if I do, you won't follow me in the path. You'll, you'll, you'll just chart your own course to get there. And God is always about the journey, not the destination. So he says, I'm not going to tell you where, it's, where it is, but when you get there, I'll, I'll show you. I'll, I'll let you know. But what I want you to do is pack up and leave. Follow me. Trust me. Let me talk to you. Let me guide you. So they do. They, Abram packs up his whole household. They take off and they head west, kind of north and then west, and uh, end up in the land of Palestine. And then God gets, just nudges Abram's heart and says, Abram, this is the place. Now, shortly before that, God had, had spoken to Abram and, and given him this incredible promise. He said, on, on their, as they were journeying to Palestine, uh, God says to Abram, Abram, I'm going to make your descendants uh, great in number, and um, I'm going to use you and your descendants to be a blessing to the whole world. And I'm going to give you a land. Well, that's pretty heady stuff. Wouldn't you like to hear from God? I'm going to bless you and your descendants and cause you to be a blessing to the whole world. And I'm going to bless you or honor you or give you uh, a, a land that uh, is special. And, and so Abram is, is really excited about this. And he's just kind of wandering around. And God says to him, Abram, this is it. This right here. Look around right now. This, this is the place. In a way, kind of all of us long for that, don't we? Don't we long for God to say, this is where you belong. This is what I made you for. Don't, don't we long for that? Now, is that longing that's in our heart because, I mean, is that just sort of torture? That God has arranged to sort of torture us with that longing? No. God has put that longing in your heart, Karen. Because he intends to fulfill that. You are a person of promise. Not unlike Abram. Abram had a unique destiny and, and all of that. But so do you. So do you. You are a person of promise. And God wants to lead you just like he did Abram. You and me just like he did Abram. And God wants for us to be finding ourselves at a place where he says, see, this is it. This is where you belong. This is what I made you for. And that longing there was put by God. And the longing that you have to know your place in this world, to know something about where your life is headed, that, that is more than just getting the bills paid or holding down a good job or raising good kids or whatever else you're involved in. All of that may be fine, but ultimately your destiny has to do with far more than that. And God is wanting all of us to discover that. And chances, I mean, I, I shouldn't even word, use the word chances. I, I'm, I'm fairly convinced that most of us here in the room have had those whispers from God. This is what I have in mind for you. But we've, we've either discounted them and just kind of carried on with life or we've said, okay, God, I'm going to take you up on that and I'm going to begin to, I'm going to just make myself available to you to, to watch you work in my life and fulfill this. Here we go. I'm signing up for this. 
I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what I think that you, you're, you're, you're calling me to. I'm going to head down this, this path. When we do that, however, I can guarantee you. Wait, for, first, before I, before I say that, let me just repeat that. Because <laughs> if I don't say anything else today, you need to hear me say that. Likely, you have already heard that which your soul longs for. A word from the Almighty, a God, the God in heaven, saying, this is the way. Walk in it. This is what I have. See this right here? This is what I have in mind for you. Now, the thing is, when we sign up for that and we say, okay, God... I don't, I'm not sure how to make this happen. It's way beyond what I can imagine, but it's, it's stirring me and it's exciting me. I want to live a transcendent life. I want to live a life that's about more than just my little, my little stuff. Um, so I'm going to sign up for it. When we do this, I can guarantee you that there will be something that opposes that. There will be circumstances that conflict with that. You are going to find yourself challenged from being able to proceed down that path because there is someone, there is a devil who wants to keep you from the joy of pursuing your destiny. So that's exactly what happens to Abram. Abram's... Hearing God say, this is the place. You know all that stuff I told you about making you a great people. Influencing the whole world with my blessing. That's going to happen right here. And Abram, Abram is excited about that. He even memorializes the moment by building, piling up a pile of rocks and making an altar there. And saying, I never want to forget what God has said to me here. So I'm going to make something physical and tangible so that every time I come by here... I'm going to remember God said that to me. God spoke that to me. So he does that. And then you know what happens? There's a famine. Now something's wrong with this picture. Now God said he was going to give me this great homeland. He was going to cause my family to be multiplied and cause me to have uh, through my, my lineage uh, a, uh, a positive, powerful, divine impact on the whole world. But we're starving here. There's a famine. What is wrong with this picture? Well, what's wrong with that picture is the same kind of thing that happens to us every time we decide that we're going to follow God. Every time we decide to allow Him to shape our destiny, there will be that which opposes us. And now a decision needs to be made. Do we trust God? And hang in there. Or do we try to engineer an alternative? Now, Abram chooses the latter. He decides to engineer an alternative. And you know what he does? He heads south to Egypt. And when he gets to Egypt, he, he tells his wife, he says, Now, uh, her name is uh, Sarai. He says, Sarai, you know, uh, you're a pretty, pretty good-looking babe. And... You know, Egypt, I mean, uh, Pharaoh, the, the king of Egypt, the greatest power in the world at the time, he has a sizable harem. And he's always on the lookout for, you know, lovely young things that he can, uh, you know, bring into his harem. And 
if he, if he uh, gets his sights on you, what he's going to end up doing is killing me or having me killed so he can take you into his harem. So here's what we'll do. You tell everybody you're my sister. So I don't know what she's thinking, but Sarah agrees to this, or Sarah agrees to this. And sure enough, <clears throat> Pharaoh says, hey, I, yikes, let's get her involved in the beginning stages of becoming one of my wives. And they have this whole system of, you know, it's kind of like the farm team, you know, in baseball. They have this whole thing of how they get these women being prepared to become one of Pharaoh's wives. And, she, and they bring her into this process. And Pharaoh decides, well, I'm, gonna, I'm going to, uh, instead of killing Abram so he can ha- have Sarai, he, he pays f- uh, for her by giving Abram all this good stuff, flocks and herds and whatnot, and enriches Abram. Now Abram um, is sort of, he's benefiting from this whole thing and so disinclined to straighten the mess out. Now, one day, Pharaoh figures it out, and we don't really know how, but he figures out what's happened, and that this woman that he's taken into the, the uh, uh, harem uh, is, is already married to this guy, Abram, and he actually, Pharaoh does a righteous thing, and he says, you know what, this isn't right, and he tells, he goes to Abram, and he says, Abram, I have no idea why you pulled this on me, kind of ticks me off. But I'm not going to get caught up in your, in your scheme here. I want you to take your wife and leave. And so Abram and Sarah leave. And they get to take all the booty with them. All the stuff that, that Abram has acquired there. I mean, it's, it's quite interesting. But what I want you to see here is that when, every time we try to engineer an alternative to God's plans or destiny for our lives, they will come off the rails. It will derail. And uh, escapee here. Let's corral him back this direction. Okay. Um, And it's what we do in those moments when it comes off the rails that will determine uh, whether we continue down the path to the future that we've engineered for ourselves or have that future redirected to what God originally intended. Are you with me so far? How about the rest of you? Yeah? Okay. Um, And so right here at Genesis chapter 13, verse 1, is that critical moment. Abram and Sarai have left town. They bailed on God, tried to work out their own future, found it coming to a miserable end and um, they, they want to get back on track with God but they don't know how just like those times when you do too and let me tell you a quick story actually I was taking way longer with this introduction than I intended but oh well um, some of you have heard this story before, but I've reached that I've reached that age where you know I tell the same stories over and over, you know, and I can't remember that I've told them to you. So, um, in fact, it's likely possible no one's heard this story before, and I just think you have. So, anyway, but some years ago, uh, Sue and I um, uh, were we had um, we felt like the Lord 
was uh, telling us that our time of leading a church that we had started uh, was over, that, you know, we'd spent 10 years, and we felt like, spent 10 years there developing this church. It felt like the Lord had a new assignment for us. And so we worked through that and came to agreement with it. It was like the Lord was, it was one of those times when the Lord was saying, this is where you belong. This is what I have in mind for you. And he was telling us about something new. That something new had to do with relocating to a, another uh, Bay Area community and preparing to start again to uh, start a new church in another city. So we began to prepare to do that. Um, but we started to get kind of panicky because we knew uh, at that time at that time we had three kids. They were, uh, you know, teenagers or almost teenagers, and um, and the prospect of relocating uh, and uh, not having any any kind of uh, you know employment because it was going to take some, some time to establish a new church there. We'd have to figure out a way to 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 earn a living and all that. And when you're a when you're a preacher person, your resume is not really business friendly, shall we say, you know? And uh, so we started to kind of panic and we decided, yeah, I don't know. And so then we had an opportunity. We were offered to go to uh, another uh, city in, in another part of the state and uh, take a, an existing church there. And it, all, it, you know, was, we could imagine ourselves being there because there was a salary and, you know, all this stuff. So we decided we'd go that way. Well, it didn't take long before we realized that we had done much like Abraham did and gone to Egypt. We figured out a, a way to engineer an alternative future, one that suited us better. But we also, in doing so, encountered lots of struggle there. And finally, we came to realize, like Abram did, wow, we missed a turn. We detoured here someplace, and we're headed towards a future God did not intend for us. Now, have you ever done anything like that? Have you ever been in a place like that? Where you've made choices to, about your life and about how you will live your life that are... Um, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the final analysis, something that you've had, had, you have engineered apart from God, and you've looked down the road and you see, man, this is taking me to a place I don't want to go. If so, I, wanna, I want you to take a close look at what Abram does, because this is exactly what you need to do. It's what I did in that circumstance I just described for you. And it radically changed and reoriented my life, just like what Abram does here, reorients his life and redirects his future, gets him back on track with God's plans for him. This can happen for you. Genesis chapter 13, verse 1. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him. Lot uh, is Abram's nephew. And they go to the south. It doesn't mean they traveled south. It means they head to the southern part of the land that God had told Abram was going to be his. So the southern part of Palestine, the Negev. So they, they're actually traveling north out of Egypt to the southern part of Palestine. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. Those are uh, geographic locations that don't mean anything to us. Where's Bethel? Where's Ai? What does all that mean? Well, it, it doesn't mean a whole lot to us because we are not students of that area's geography. But let me tell you that they're, they're in the Bible because... 
they refer to the very spot, the very geographic location where God had previously spoke to Abram and said, this is the place. This is where I have, what I have in mind for you. So the very first thing that Abram does when he realizes he's headed in a, in, a play, in a direction God didn't intend for him is he tries to make his way back to the last spot where he had heard from God. I don't know if you, if you can relate to this, but there have been many times in my life when I, I find myself sort of out in no man's land and realize I missed a turn someplace... And I, I need to try to find my way back to the last, you know, the last place where I was on the map. And so it's something that just happens in your heart. You begin to try to reorient yourself to the last place where you knew you, were, you had heard from God. So he goes back there. And then verse 4 says, he goes to the place of the altar. Remember that pile of rocks that he had made I told you about so that he would never forget what God said to him there? He goes to that place, and uh, at the place he had made there at first. And then it says, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Would you read that phrase with me from whatever Bible you're holding? It may be worded just a little differently, but the last part of verse 4. Um, let's, be, let's read it together. Whatever you have, read it out loud on the count of three. One, two, three. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. One more time. One, two, three. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. We're talking about prayer. And we're talking about a kind of prayer that uh, a lot of us don't practice very often. To call on the name of the Lord. To call on in the Hebrew language from which that verse is translated into English. To call on means to seize with desperation. It means like a drowning man getting a hold of someone who can save them. It's desperation. It's not the kind of praying that a lot of us do. Out here in the, in the foyer on the other side of this building, there's a keypad that, that controls the alarm system. And uh, one time I was, you know, I had put, I'd come in through the door and the alarm starts to go off inside because that's what always happens until you go over and shut it off, right? Alarm starts to go off. I go over to the keypad and I punch in the code and it's still ringing. And I get kind of desperate. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Let's see. Did I get that right? And I repunch the buttons some more. And I keep punching the buttons and the alarm in here is getting louder and louder. And I start to panic. And a lot of times we approach prayer with God like, like I just got to get the numbers right. If I say it right, if I kneel in the right spot, if I intone my voice in just the right way, maybe I'll get, the, I'll get God to, to do something. We approach prayer sort of like, a, like there's a lock and, and we have a ring of keys and we've got to try to figure out the right one to open that lock. And if we could ever figure out the right one, then inside of there is something good that God would want to do for us. And we approach prayer a lot like that. Let's see. Um, let's try this one. But that's not, that's never what prayer is about and it certainly isn't what Abram needed in that moment. What Abraham needed was to desperately get a hold of God. Um, 
Calling on the name of the Lord, I think I, yeah, sorry about that. Calling on the name of the Lord means to hold tightly to all that God is. The name of the Lord. Call on, seize hold of, desperately get a hold of the name of the Lord. What, is, what does that mean? Well, I want you to, many of you know my wife, Sue. She's with the uh, preschoolers this morning. And when you think of my wife, Sue, Sue Ann Bolt, Susan Ann Bolt. Maybe you didn't know that was her middle name. Now you do. Susan Ann Bolt. When you think of her, what comes to, my, what comes to your mind? Likely an image. You've seen her. You have a picture that comes to your mind, what she looks like. More than that, there are likely impressions, feelings that come to you. If you've had positive interactions in relationship with my wife, then those feelings that would come up would be positive, right? And maybe some remembrances would come up, things, times that you've shared with her. When I say her name, Susan Ann Bolt, that's what comes up. Images, feelings, experiences. And prayer is is always this, but especially in these times when we're desperate for God to redirect our future. And we just grab on to him like we're a drowning man. And that moment, we don't need to be trying locks in the key. We don't need to be trying to, you know, get the code just right. What we need to do is hold tightly to all that we know God to be. We have seen him work in the past. We have heard his voice. We have a book here that has thousands of promises for us. And that is what we hold tightly to. I want to talk to you about the names of the Lord this morning. Because when we talk about holding on to or or calling on the name of the Lord, these are some of the things that we get a hold of. These are some of the things that he is. The Bible reveals him in these ways. Jehovah Elohim. Now, I'm going to really massacre these Hebrew pronunciations, pronunciations, excuse me. But since I'm not in a group of... um, you know, Hebrew-speaking people or Hebrew scholars, I can maybe get away with it. But anyway, Jehovah Elohim, which means the Lord our maker. And you can find this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And by the way, as we go through these, and we will do so pretty quickly, all of these expressions of who God is, His name, come out of, almost all of them come out of experiences where people were desperately holding on to God and he revealed himself in these ways. Jehovah Elohim, the Lord our maker. He creates from nothing. If you've ever been in a circumstance where you get, you've got to, you're desperate for God to create something out of nothing. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, it's that passage where God takes a bunch of dirt, breathes upon it and and human beings are, are formed. I don't know about you, but I've certainly been there. My, my hands are empty. My pockets are empty. I don't have any ideas. I am bankrupt. of every, I don't know how to move forward one step. And there I need God. I need Jehovah Elohim, the one who creates from nothing, the Lord, our maker. And I just throw myself at his feet, desperately clinging on to the one who creates from nothing. Another place in the Bible talks about God as the, 
as Jehovah Jireh. Gives us his name as Jehovah or Jehovah Jireh or Yehovah Yireh. So you can take your pick, any of those. <laughs> Jehovah Jireh. It means the Lord our provider. You can find that in Genesis chapter 22, verse 14. And that means he is all we need. And you know what? A lot of times we come to the Lord and we, we, don't we do this? We say, Lord, please give me this and so, or please do this and so. I need a new wife. No, no, no. I, I need a new car. I, I need a new uh, job. I need a new iPod. Whatever it is, you know, we, we come to God and we think we need a specific thing. Can I just share with you, it is never true. When you find yourself thinking, oh, God, please provide uh, for our rent this month. Now, it may be that, you know, in the long run, you need to get that rent paid. But in that moment, it's not really what you need. What you really need is God himself. He is what you need. He is what you need. Because he can take care of all the rest. Another place in the scripture, in ex, uh, excuse me, Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, it tells us, it gives us the name of the Lord as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer, the one who brings recovery. He brings recovery. When you find yourself broken, messed over, messed up somehow, physically, emotionally, spiritually, Get a hold of, call on the name of the Lord Jehovah Rapha. And don't let go. Do not let go until the one who heals, heals. Another place in the scripture, Exodus chapter 17, verse 15, tells us about Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner. He gives victory. Ever watch the Olympics and they finish a race and, you know, the guy, the winner grabs his nation's flag and does a victory lap. Ever seen that? Just, just waving the banner of his victory. Uh, our Lord is our, he is our banner of victory. In those times when you feel defeated, get a hold of the one who waves the banner of victory. No, no, there's no defeat here. There's no defeat here. Jehovah Nisi is in charge. The Lord, our victory. Another place in, uh, in Judges, chapter 6, verse 24, we read about Jehovah Shalom. The Lord, our peace. The Lord, our peace. He provides security. In those times when you feel insecure, when you feel afraid, uh, when you feel forgotten or forsaken, when you feel vulnerable, get a hold of, call on, seize the one who is your peace, Jehovah Shalom. In Psalm 23, verse 1, we read about the Lord, our shepherd, Jehovah Ra'ah. Jehovah Ra'ah. And he inspires trust, just like a shepherd. I mean, just like a sheep who... Uh, sheep, is that right? A lamb? A sheep? I don't know. Uh, learns to trust the shepherd. And knows that the shepherd's going to make sure that there is uh, pasture to graze in. Know that the shepherd is going to ensure that um, uh, wolves and other uh, 
adversaries are going to be held at bay, that the shepherd is going to know what, what time it is to move on from this location to the next. They come to rest in, in, the, in the security and the trust of the shepherd. When you find yourself um, in those places of desperation, wanting to see your future redirected, grab hold of the one who is your shepherd and don't let go. In Jeremiah 23, verse 6, we read about Jehovah Tzidkenu. Can you say that? Excuse you. <laughs> Tzidkenu. Jehovah Tzidkenu. I love that. I just like to say it. Tzidkenu. The Lord, our righteousness. He cleanses us. He cleanses us. He is our righteousness. When, you know, the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. We've talked about this before. But he, he, you know, he loves to sling in your face every foul thing you've ever said or done. But not God. Not God. God sent his son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin so he could cover it. So he can cleanse it. And when you find yourselves in times of, of desperation, headed towards a future that you, you know God doesn't want for you, come with repentance, surely. Come with repentance. But desperately get a hold of the one who cleanses, not the one who condemns. Hold tightly to Jehovah Sidkenu. There's two more. First Samuel 1 Samuel 1.3 says, or tells us about Jehovah Tzabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Tzabaoth, the Lord of hosts. He reigns over all. He reigns over all. There's nothing, not one thing, not one thing greater than him. Nothing you can do or anyone else can do bigger than his ability to fix can you imagine coming to God and saying uh, well I really messed up this time God and, and God say yeah yeah I, I'm not sure I can help you with that <laughs> no no Does there, is there ever a time when you can when you can overwhelm God's mercy or wisdom is there ever a straw that breaks the camel's back so to speak with God no there isn't in fact, the Bible tells us that his mercies for you, they are new every morning. If you, even if you could, <laughs> overwhelm him, tomorrow they'd be new. The mercies of God are new every morning. He reigns over all. And finally, Ezekiel 48.35 tells us about Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. The Lord is there. He's here. He's here. I, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, I, I listed these in the order that they appear in the scripture, but I'm, I'm glad we get to finish there. Because some of you probably just need to know, I need to know, that right here, right now, in this place, God is here. And he's here for me. 
and he's here for you. If no one else was here, if there wasn't a band that had played before, if we didn't have slides being projected on the screen, if there was no food back there and no one else in the building, God would be here for you. He's here and here for you because he has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for your life. And even though you might have gotten off course, even though you might have kind of screwed that up, trying to engineer your own way out of whatever mess you found yourself in, God is still available to you. He's here. I'm going to ask you to set your things aside and stand as we close. And we're going to, as we do, I'm going to close in prayer in just a moment. But as you set your things aside and get to your feet, we're going to sing a song that we have learned and sung quite often around here, here and now here and now that just reminds us that this moment this one this moment this one right here not next week not tomorrow not when you you know go home this one right here right now is the moment that he wants to inhabit for you And if you've been one of those just trying the keys in the lock, hoping you'll finally get to one that will unlock God's blessing in your life, if you've been rattling away on the keypad hoping to kind of get the right combination that God might do something good for you, give that up. Throw yourself at the feet of the one who is all those things that we've talked about. Desperately get a hold of him and don't let go.